So who is responsible for this housing crisis? We've been all over, haven't we? We're talking about the real estate business. We've been focusing at the lack of development. But a new conversation is zeroing in on City Hall and the big ones, even more than the small ones, are the planning departments creating a lot of red tape and creating a lot of backlogs to the development that's needed to all these houses we're talking about. Eric Lombardi is joining us, housing advocate and founder of More Neighbors Toronto. Eric Lombardi, good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I mean, the finger it has been pointed all over, hasn't it? I mean, if you talk to certain political parties, it's the federal government's fault. And now there is, I know there was an editorial in the Globe and Mail. It's your problem, City Hall. Same thing, a, a piece in the Toronto Star. This new focus seems to be the red tapers, the planners, and the City Hall structure. Is there truth to it, Eric? I think there's a lot of truth to it. However, I don't think pointing the blame at city planners is a problem when it's the politicians who create and legislate the rules that they're forced to follow. So the real blame, and you know, I really think that this is an important emphasis, is on all the political leaders who refuse to use the levers that they have available to them at their own level of government to find solutions to the housing crisis. Municipalities bear a ton of responsibility for the mess that we're in. And the province bears a lot of responsibility for this mess because they have not um, used their powers to ensure municipalities have been ensuring our systems can build enough housing, right? So who to blame? Yes, you can blame a little bit of everyone, but the municipalities have a lot they could do on their own to really alleviate this crisis. You know, when I first came to the city, I covered city hall full time and went to all these kind of things. And there were always people, as as it's being noted now, yelling and screaming at the planners. And people would say they're tearing this down, they're doing this, and there was a lot of pushback. And to be fair, some of the politicians were only doing what those people who voted for them wanted. There seems to be a real pushback on that not in my backyard in, in the cities right now. Is that justified? It's 100% justified. In fact, I'd say the existence of more neighbors as an advocacy group that's really trying to advocate for the needs of future residents, young people and new immigrants who are really struggling left on the outside of the housing crisis have really been a source of that pushback against those, I'd say, uh, neighborhood groups that aren't actually necessarily reflective of the neighborhoods that they they claim to come from. Um, and, you know, I would just say that a lot of politicians, you know, they don't necessarily know how people are feeling, but they know how the people who are complaining to them are feeling. And it's resulted in these laws and rules and processes and even aversion to doing the right thing on housing because they don't want to take the flat from the complainers who don't want to see change in their neighborhoods, even if it's helpful for themselves and other residents. It's so true. It's very, very difficult because you can see some of some of their points. People don't want to lose their old housing. People don't want the fabric of their neighborhood change. But what we seem to be seeing is that argument is, uh, as they say in the South, that dog may not hunt anymore, Eric, with all this pressure. Is that argument just uh, thrown out the window, do you think? 
Um, I think it is. And I think what people are coming to understand is their neighborhoods are changing anyways. And because of the housing crisis, it's also not changing in the ways that they'd like, right? So you're seeing many neighborhoods across the city, you'll see a small once, you know, middle-class family bungalow turned into a six to 8,000 square foot mm-hmm. uh, McMansion. And, you know, it could have been a triplex, but that's illegal. And I don't think people really see much daylight in impact on their neighborhood character between those two forms of housing, right? And so people are seeing these changes and starting to realize that this housing crisis is changing the nature of the people who are able to live in their neighborhood and the built form at the same time. And, you know, starting to realize that maybe we need to do things a little differently. Are the bigger cities to blame more than more than the smaller cities? Because we've all watched. I mean, all these arguments seem to work. But in other cities outside, let's take Toronto for an example. If you look to Barrie and Whippy and all those other places, they were like, come on down. Now, they did have the space. It was a different kind of a criteria that they were serving. People wanted those things, but is this a, is this a big city problem more than a middle or small one, Eric? Uh, I would say generally, yes, it's a bigger city problem, but for the GTA, it's actually a regional problem. And if you look at the analyses that have been done you know, by you know, well-respected economists like Mike Moffat, you know, Peel region especially uh, has underbuilt the housing that they need to, they need to have. And that's reflected in the fact that Mississauga bizarrely lost population between 2016 and 2021, which you know, should strike everyone as kind of crazy. So, you know, Toronto as well is a nexus of, you know, jobs, the economy, culture, tourism, et cetera. And by limiting the number of people and the amount of space that we're building here, we are by choice pushing families out. That is the outcome and the data does show that. And so when Toronto doesn't build enough housing, it does spill over to the municipalities around Toronto who, once they're not building enough housing, spirals into this housing crisis that we've created for ourselves. You know what? Go ahead. I was just going to talk about the planners a little bit more. I don't think I've ever thought about them as human beings, but this conversation (laughs) asks us to, I mean, they're getting yelled at, they plan everything. They go for an evening and people are throwing buns at their heads saying not in my backyard. So it's uh, sympathy for the planners a little bit here, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I have some sympathy for the planners individually. I would say the planning as an institution, especially older planners, um, have a very different perspective than I'd say some of the youngers, younger planners at City Hall. But I think a big issue in the housing context is the lack of regional planning and you know, the province's responsibility to ensure that you know, we are planning regional infrastructure, we are ensuring that City Halls have the resources that they need, that you know, we're investing in systems, right? That makes planning go faster. And a lot of those can be replicated across the province. And so, you know, the planners at City Hall do have limited tools and are frankly very underpaid relative to what they can earn in the private sector. And for the amount of slack that, you know, city councillors are happy to let them take because our politicians in the city don't want to be accountable to the voters for the tough decisions that we actually need to be making as a city. So in planner's defense, they are making mistakes, but 
they are under-resourced, underpaid, under-tooled, and, you know, our politicians are more than happy to use them as a public bank. You know, we've been talking tonight about the strong mayors and how it's actually going to work. And this is one of the, this is one of the things that was taking aim at, is it going to solve it? Is it going to take this away and um, at least supply the might and the muscle here? Uh, I don't know for sure, honestly, um, because, you know, this, the, the way that this legislation works is it allows um, a mayor to veto something that is being passed by council and to make decisions over funding and, and financing. And, you know, there's still a great de- degree of mayoral discretion in how they use those powers. And for John Tory in particular, you know, we've seen him talk the right language on housing, but when it's come time to use the political capital that he has on council, he hasn't really used it. And so will more powers really incentivize him to use those uh, more? I'm not really convinced. I personally believe that strong mayor powers are either being used by the province as a distraction from the action that should be taken or as a follow-up to legislation that will come that might upset city councils and they're looking to the mayor uh, of Toronto and Ottawa where they focus this uh, to veto some of the uh, resulting initiatives that would come from city council. Um, but overall, I'm not expecting a huge, this is not the silver bullet. Eric Lombardi, thanks a lot. You take care and have a good night. Thanks, Eric. You as well. Thank you so much. I'm Arlene Bynan, and this is On Point.